So how's everybody doing today? You waiting for a sermon? What are you going to do if the preacher loses his voice? Pray that I get it back. I've just been traveling the universe, so that's why I'm a little bit late coming in here. Today we're going to look at the new heavens and the new earth which God will make. Let us pray that God can help us uh, understand a little bit of the reality of these teachings. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to be with us as we open your word. We thank you that you are the creator God and that what you create is very, very good. Uh, may we be encouraged this morning, um, instill hope in us, Lord, to realize that uh, there is more uh, more blessings that you have for your people than we can even begin to imagine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Take a Bible and go to the book of Isaiah. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a few texts, and uh, I guess the basic passage is going to be Isaiah 65. And that's on page 1164, starting at verse 17. And I'm going to spend a few moments on the concept of a renewed heavens and a renewed earth. Isaiah says in verse 17, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Now, when it says a new heavens and a new earth, and of course we have similar language in other places in the Bible, such as in Revelation chapter 21, we are to think of a, re a renewed heavens and a renewed earth. So we have heaven renewed and we have earth renewed. And I want to spend a few minutes talking about this idea of heaven. Of course, everybody seems to have an opinion on heaven. If you ask people, do you believe in heaven, most people will say what? Yes, most people do believe in heaven. So you can read Time Magazine, Newsweek, and, and heaven is something that people seem to be interested in. But of course, they all have different understanding of what heaven is. Some really don't have a clue, and they just say, well, it's something up there. Uh, some humorous people will say, well, heaven is an American salary, a Chinese cook, an English house, and a Japanese wife. Well, what about hell? Well, hell is defined as having a Chinese salary, an English cook, a Japanese house, and an American wife. Sorry, ladies. I did not write this. And who will be in heaven? Well, there'll be some surprises there too. I dreamed death came the other night and heaven's gates swung wide. With kindly grace, an angel ushered me inside and there to my astonishment stood folks I'd known on earth, some I judged and labeled unfit or of little worth. Indignant words rose to my lips but never were set free for every face showed stunned surprise. No one expected me. 
in the book of Isaiah, which to me is one of the most powerful books in the whole Bible, we have this idea of God being a creator God. Of course, Isaiah didn't come up with that idea. We clearly have that in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God did what? Created the heavens and the earth. And that idea of the creator God runs all the way, obviously, through the Bible. And of course, the Seventh-day Adventists, we feel every time the Sabbath is discussed, well, that should be a discussion of our creator God. So this is a big theme in Scripture. We also have many portions of the book of Isaiah where we see God trying to create this heaven on earth, so to speak, through the nation of Israel. And there were certain covenant promises made to the nation of Israel. For example, that they would inherit the land of Canaan and other, other amazing promises. But it seems that over and over again, God's people failed. They would get to the borders of the promised land, for example, and then they would sin and they would go back wandering in the desert. But here when we get near the end of the book of Isaiah, he's bringing some of these, this idea of covenant blessings when they're wandering and being disciplined by God. Those are maybe the covenant curses. Now at the end, we're talking about some of the covenant blessings, and of course, an important part of the blessing was the inheritance of the land, and here it's spoken of as a renewed heaven and a new, a renewed earth. Now, before I get into the text here any further, I want to kind of go through a little bit of a chronology of last day events. It's pretty hard to talk of new heaven and new earth without talking about the millennium period, for example, in Revelation chapter 20. So let me just take a few minutes. It will be helpful for some of you that are a little confused in, in this area of when these events, and of course, within the Christian world, there's all talk, all, lots of talk of rapture, and um, Harold is doing his thing in Oakland, Harold Camping, uh, setting, what, May 21, any believers here this morning? Any true believers here this morning? You're going to be raptured away on May 21, according to Harold. Not the first time he's set these kind of dates and been proven wrong, and no doubt he'll be proven wrong again here. So here's kind of, in a very brief way, the way that last day events will go as, as Seventh-day Adventists understand it. The beginning of the millennium who comes back to this earth? The Lord Jesus Christ. We call that the second coming of Jesus Christ, mentioned in Revelation 19, 11 through 21. Also, we, then we have the wicked slain at that time. So all of those that are not trusting in Jesus, all of those that have not made preparation, they will be destroyed. At the same time, there will be the resurrection of who? The righteous. We call that, the or the Bible calls that the first resurrection. That's the one to be in. The resurrection of the righteous. And those righteous are taken where? To heaven. 
Satan is bound, which means that he has nobody to tempt. He has a thousand years. That's what millennium means, a thousand year period. thousand years to contemplate his wickedness. Earth, obviously, at this time is desolate. During the millennium, what will happen? Well, God's people, the righteous or the saints, they're reigning with Christ in heaven. They're involved in a work of judgment, judgment of the wicked, judgment of wicked human beings, wicked angels. That's what they're doing for a thousand years. Satan and his angels are still bound on the earth during this time, and earth is still desolate and in chaos. At the end of the millennium, something comes down from heaven. What is that? The new Jerusalem or the holy city comes down. Who is in the new Jerusalem, the holy city? The Lord Jesus Christ and the righteous saints. Then the wicked are resurrected. Satan is loosed, and together with the wicked, they attack the holy city. All of this, most of this of what I'm saying, you can read in Revelation chapter 20. And then, back to our theme today, the earth is renewed at that point. So those are just some of the main planks to keep in your head, main, the main blocks to keep in your head when we talk about a new heavens and a new earth. This is a fulfillment of the covenant blessings that God has given to his people. Of course, it's very much more than I can see or e our mind even comprehend. Everything we say this morning is... Is, is, is as spoken as through a dark glass. And yet, you'll see some statements in the Bible and some statements in Ellen White's writings that are kind of peering through the darkness and do uh, heavily encourage us. Okay, so go back to Isaiah 65. Let's see Isaiah's picture of the new heavens and the new earth. It says, Behold, I create new heavens and new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Does that mean we have no memory of living on planet earth for 50, 60, 70 years? Well, I don't think that, I don't interpret it that way, but I think the painful things, the pain, the suffering, it's like the memory of that will be as nothing. So when we're in the glory with God, what seems so painful and so difficult, and let's face it, folks, some people have a really tough time on planet Earth. That, will pain, that pain will be taken away. And then he says in verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight. Jerusalem is spoken of as the capital here, and its people what? Can you get the picture of God delighting his people? It's a really important concept. You get a, I actually preached a sermon, one of the first, I think one of the first sermons in this church um, on Zephaniah, where God is dancing over his people. He is serenading his people. Similar kind of language that we have here. I will rejoice over Jerusalem. I will take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, 
Oramol, old man who does not live out his years, he who dies at a hundred, what? Death in the new earth. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. Hmm. That doesn't seem to fit. And it's very interesting that when you read material on the new heavens and the new earth, it's very rare that you will ever read this verse. Because um, the magazine articles that you'll read will tend to skip over the difficult stuff. And I don't have all the answers for the difficult stuff, but at least I want you to know that they're there. Seems to me that maybe, possibly, we could conclude that I Isaiah has a partial understanding of this new heavens and new earth. But let me take you to an interesting passage earlier in the book of Isaiah, in chapter um, 25 and verse 8. Now, he's talking about the mountain of the Lord. And he says in verse 8, well, verse 7, we can back up. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death, how long? Forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. So maybe Isaiah's understanding is not as partial as we might think, though I've always thought with Scripture, and I did explain this in my Bible class this morning, that you don't get all the information in one place. These prophets that spoke for God spoke over many centuries. And in that sense, I look on truth as something progressive. You might get the bud in one of the books of the Bible. You certainly get the seed form in Genesis, the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, even if the word is not being used, is clearly on the mind of the prophet Isaiah. And the Exodus, when God redeemed his people, um, and wanted to bring them in the land of Canaan. That clearly is also in the mind of, of Isaiah. But you get it maybe in seed form or maybe in bud form. And when we get to somewhere like the book of Revelation, and of course there's a lot of comments in between from Paul about the earth groaning because of the bondage that it's been put in through no fault of its own, but because of the fault of hum human beings, bringing sin into God's creation. Um, and then by the time we get to the book of Revelation, then we see the flower of truth, the, the, the clearer picture. I think that's a, a reasonable way to approach the Bible. Don't try and find all of the truth in just one place. Unfortunately, the, the Sadducees tended to do that. In Jesus' day, they said that all the truth is in the first five books of the Old Testament. So the Pharisees disagreed with that. They believed in, in the, the rest of the Old Testament. And so these two, would, would, these two groups would go head to head, just like some church groups probably will do today, go head to head on what really is the truth. Well, 
All I'm saying is you're not going to get all of the truth of God that's been revealed to man in the first five books of the Bible. You're going to go to other places to understand some of those truths. Okay, let's finish with, um, with this section here. They will build houses and dwell in them, and they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant the other, and others eat. So it won't be taken away from them. The negatives are not there in the new earth. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. So is their child rearing? Is there births of babies in the new earth? Well, Adventists say no. And uh, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. This is a beautiful text. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all of my holy mountain. Maybe the best way to understand this, there's different ways of approaching it. One way of approaching it is just, it's a limited picture of God's people um, being in this new land of Canaan, so to speak, this new earth. It's, it's a partial picture. When we go through the rest of, this, of Scripture, we have very clear, definitive statements about death being abolished and so on. So let's go to one other place in Revelation chapter 21. And then before I'm finished, I'd like to read a number of statements from Ellen White's writings, which I think, at least to me, have been very interesting, very, very insightful. The millennium stuff is in chapter 20. So that's the place to jump into if, when, you, when you're trying to get these, the order of last day events. Here he starts by saying, then I saw a new heaven, renewed heaven, renewed earth for the first heaven and the first earth. What had happened to them? That's the past. That's the past. All the negative stuff in, that we know in this world has gone. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, the bride of Christ is who? It's the church. It's you and me. It's the believer. It's God's family. So, they have been perfected. They have been given the gift of immortality. I didn't mention that earlier, but that's part of something that happens when Christ comes back. No more creaking bones. Can I hear an amen to that? No more wrinkles. No more spending money and all of this cream and plastic surgery and whatever else you need to look just right. The old order of things, the pain, the suffering, the separation, and of course death, which is the great enemy, all of that is gone. They've been given the gift of immortality and now they're coming back to this earth because this earth was made for man, for mankind, for human beings. I don't know what to call the inhabitants of the worlds out there, the planets out there. 
there's probably a lot of them. Uh, actually, this, your government is spending quite a bit of money to try and find them. We've already found them, in a sense, in a limited sense, in the Bible. We certainly know that there's an angelic realm out there, don't we? The Bible talks a lot about angels. The Bible talks about the sons of God coming together. And it's interesting that when I read the study notes in some of the study Bibles uh, outside of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, that they seem to think of an inhabited universe. The more that we study space and develop telescopes uh, to exp there's different types of telescopes that will give us different pictures of the universe, the, the larger, the more awesome that it seems. If ever you're feeling uh, kind of discouraged and down on yourself, try and find something that will give you a big picture of this universe, and, and by that, hopefully, a big picture of God. Okay, so in verse um, 3, was it? Um, the, this bride is beautifully prepared, dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. You know, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, it was like there was a barrier between God and man. There was a sin barrier. Things changed. They were brought out of that beautiful garden, which was very hard for them. And there was an angel guarding the, the entrance, so to speak, that, that nobody could enter that garden again. Uh, where did the garden go? Well, the garden went somewhere. And now we will have a new earth, which will be like the whole Garden of Eden, and better, global. Not just a, a piece of territory in Palestine, but global. And one of the most beautiful things about this new earth is that God will dwell with his people. No barriers, no separation. When you and I have the gift of immortality, we'll be able to see God and enjoy God, which is what we were originally created for. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And you either believe them or you don't believe them. I would encourage you to believe them. And if your faith is weak, ask God to strengthen your faith because you will be um, energized by dwelling upon some of these words, some of these promises in Scripture. Okay, do we have time for a few quotes from Ellen White? All right, just making sure. In some places, they'll throw rotten eggs at you when you talk about Ellen White. So I just want to double check here. Let me just share a few things with you. And if any of you would like uh, copies of this material that I have, because I have pages of these quotes, um, 
how we will be traveling through space, how the inhabitants of different worlds, how they look, um, some interesting uh, material, material here. One of the first quotes here, which I'm going to skip, is that we need to make heaven real. And we need to make the new earth real. We don't want to spiritualize them away. They are real places. Now, it's true, they are way more than we can ever begin to imagine. But that's not the same as saying that they're not real, right? It seems that the writers, whether it be Isaiah or whether it be John, they really struggle to find the right kind of language to express the inexpressible. So one of her first statements here in this material, taken from the great controversy, is make make it real, make it a material place. Don't spiritualize it away. Here's another statement that I think is helpful. Heaven is a good place. Well, that's an understatement, isn't it? I long to be there and behold my lovely Jesus who gave his life for me and be changed into his glorious image. Oh, for language to express the glory of the bright world to come. I thirst for the living streams that make glad the city of our God. The Lord has given me a view of other worlds. Wings were given me, and an angel attended me from the city to a place that was bright and glorious. She doesn't give us a name. It's a place out in this universe. The grass of the place was living green, lots of fertilizer, and the birds there warbled a sweet song. So, Randy, there's going to be birds there. The inhabitants of the place were of all sizes. They were noble, majestic, and lovely. They bore the express image of who? Jesus. And their countenances beamed with holy joy, expressive of the freedom and the happiness of the place. I asked one of them why they were so much more lovely than those on the earth. And the reply was, we have lived in strict obedience to the commandments of God and have not fallen by disobedience like those on earth. I begged of my angel to let me remain in that place. Now, I'm not sure at this time whether Ellen was married with a bunch of children. But whether she was or not, we know where she wanted to be. Where did she want to be? In the bright, glorious, heavenly place, wherever this was in this universe. I begged of my attendant, let me remain in this place. I couldn't bear the thought of coming back to this dark world again. And then the angel said, you must go back. And if you are faithful, you with the 144,000 shall have the privilege of visiting all the worlds and viewing the handiwork of God. That's taken from the book, Early Writings, which has quite a bit of material on some of these, um, some of these concepts. Another statement, which I'm going to skip, great controversy, no night there, no weariness. She also talks of heaven as being a school. She talks of the universe as being a school. That I find very, very, very interesting, and I think um, fits in very well with what some of these scientists are, are realizing, that eventually our resources on planet Earth are going to run out, and we're going to have to get out into this universe and find other places to live. Here's one statement, and maybe I'll wrap up here. All the treasures of the universe will be open to the study of God's children. You know, I once tried to, um, or at least my uncle brought up the idea of Christians and their belief in the afterlife and heaven. 
And he just said, it'll be so boring to be in a place where you're strumming a harp. And obviously, he had never, probably never read at least the Isaiah and the Revelation statements on the new heavens and the new earth. And he is not a convert. He is not a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had a very limited understanding. But, but is, the fault, is that fault because Christians have not made heaven, new heaven and new earth, as, as real as it, it, it should really be? Explain. Um, we shall share the treasures gained through ages upon ages spent in contemplation of God's handiwork. Um, we shall explore the wisdom of the unfallen being. The years of eternity as they roll will continue to bring more glorious uh, revelations, uh, as Paul says in Ephesians, more than we can ask or even think. His servant shall serve him. The life on earth is the beginning of the life in heaven. Education on earth is an initiation into the principles of heaven. The life work here is a training for the life work there. And she talks about character development and so on. That's taken from the book Education, which again is another uh, wonderful book that you and I should be uh, spending time with. Okay, so she goes on to talk about the harmonious social life, ever-increasing knowledge, uh, no marriage. Didn't hear an amen on that one. No births. Isaiah seems to indicate there will be births. And she talks about travel in the future. She doesn't say going first class, but that's essentially what you're doing here. And the rewards that we will receive, the bright home of the saints, and so on and so forth. If any of you need copies of that, I'd be happy to give, give them to you. The point is we're trying to paint a picture we're trying to paint a picture of what God is like first. Every day of our life, every choice we make, every time we discuss or think about the Bible, we're thinking about a picture of God. And there was a writer who lived some years ago, J.B. Phillips, who says, your God wrote a book. Your God is too small. Maybe these brief descriptions of the new heavens and the new earth are trying to help us to get a bigger picture of God. Creating a universe where everything is in harmony. Can you even begin to imagine what that's like? Never locking your doors, never looking over your shoulder. No, no fear of anything. Least of all, a fear of God. Everything in harmony. That's the picture that Isaiah's trying to give us, the revelator, John the revelator is trying to give us. That is the covenant blessings, the ultimate covenant blessings. New heavens, new earth, and God dwelling with his people, and we're all in harmony. Someone says heaven is cheap enough. And from our perspective, it is. Whatever we have to give up for God, we're going to get 10 times, 100 times over in this life, Jesus says, and certainly in the life to come. Remember also, it is costly because it costs the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died so that he and you and I could live 
together for eternity. Let's not let him down. Let's count our blessings in this world and in the world to come, and let's serve him with joy and happiness, and let's share this good news. There's a lot of hurting people in this area, don't you think so? A lot of poverty, there's a lot of broken marriages, there's a lot of pain and disease and sickness. Let's go out with this positive, optimistic picture of God and his new creation, his new heavens, and his new earth. Let's share these truths with other people. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that he accepts us as we are, but we don't stay as we are. He gives us a new heart, a new mind, a new appreciation of the things of heaven. We thank you for that too, Lord, for the whole conversion process, for everything that you create in us and in your creation. Help us to, to take these things seriously, and may we share them with those who are totally ignorant about you and your creation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.